Okay, Ephesians chapter 2. I want to say that we've just had a really wild week. Um, I got some ringing going on, Justin. I might need you need your help. Um, been a wild week. You ever just had a wild week? And you know what I'm finding? And the closer I get to him, and the more he's trusting me to bear his name and to carry him places, is that the closer I get to him, the further I get down the road, I'm finding out that like serving him is like a beautiful mess. <laughs> it's like you, you think of it as compartmentalized in seasons, like, okay, here's a season where I'm serving God and nothing bad is happening, but then here's this other season where everything bad is happening to me. And what I'm finding is, is the closer I get to God, is that these two worlds come together. And the difference is that I've found that when I'm walking through these seasons is that I'm just as effective going through something and still staying faithful and ministering than I am when nothing's going on in my life. It's like Paul's life. Like he's experiencing all this bad stuff, but then here's all this good stuff that's going on in the gospel and, and in his ministry at the same time. So, uh, so it's been a kind of a wild and crazy week, but I can tell you this, where I'm at now, um, these things would have probably made me take it down a notch. And I'm learning that every time the devil ramps up his stuff, I just ramp up my stuff. <laughs> okay. So, so I'm learning this, this kind of thing. And so like last week, everybody in my house had strep throat, but me. And I don't know how I dodged it, but I stayed at home to just, you know, try to not spread, give everybody strep throat. And Tim came in and spoke, and we were able to stream church from the house. Aren't you grateful for our helpers that do that? Like, you know, um, yeah. It's kind of like, don't stay home, but if you must, <laughs> like stream. Um, so, yeah, but Tim, he, he taught a, man, what a masterful lesson that was. That was just anointed and just beautiful. And so I'm thankful. I got preachers everywhere that can just get up and just take off when my family's sick. And so, so then this last weekend, we had a, we're at a revival and couldn't take Abigail with us. So she's sick. So my mom was watching her. And, and uh, it was just, it's just a lot of moving parts. And, uh, but we had an awesome time at the church we were at. One lady was just miraculously healed. Uh, she would for two weeks, she was just could barely get around and nobody even laid hands on her or anything she just during worship she started worshiping she said her knee popped and then she just started walking around and was like she's like jump around I don't have any pain I'm like oh what's going oh okay you know great. I hadn't even laid hands on anybody yet and you know uh, but 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 I'm seeing things that when Satan ramps up his attacks God ramps up his anointing and he ramps up uh, what he wants to do in your life and so I'm, I'm learning that when Satan hits the gas pedal, I just, I hit the gas pedal a little bit harder. And we just keep pushing on. And once Satan knows he can't stop you with just these attacks, I'll tell you what, he starts messing with other people. He, he, he just stops messing around with you because he knows what's going to happen. So, so yeah, so it's been a really wild week, but really a great week as well. And uh, my mind's just stayed upon the Lord right now. And I'm just, I'm just seeking him, steadying on him, and I'm just excited 
about what he wants to do. Um, I'm more excited about God than I am the first day I got saved. And I remember people told me, well, you just got saved. That excitement will wear off. It's like, oh, thanks, saints, for that encouragement, you know. But I can tell you this, I've gotten crazier, not less crazy, since the first time I got saved. And uh, I plan on, and uh, like, uh, uh, who, who said it, uh, maybe it was King David, uh, you, ha- you hadn't seen the half yet of what I think God wants to do in my life and your life and all of our lives. And so don't limit yourself. And if you're going through a tough time, don't back off. Man, you keep pressing harder in him and, uh, and watch God work in your life. Um, sometimes in those weak places, we're even more anointed because we're less dependent upon ourselves and our strength and we're more dependent upon him. And, and this is what Paul was saying. You know, I, I had this thorn in my flesh and there's debates on what that was or is or, or, or could have been. And he's like, and I said, Lord, won't you take this away? And he said, you know what? My grace is made sufficient in your weakness. And so you're more profitable if I leave you with some weakness. Otherwise, you might get the conclusion that it was because of you I was doing what I was doing in your life. So I guess I'm learning to embrace the weakness and to just keep pressing forward and know that God's he's in the middle of it all. And he's working all things together for our good. So be encouraged if you're going through some stuff. Um, God wants to show out right in the middle of that. And just because you're going through stuff doesn't mean God's not with you. It's not a sign that he's mad at you. It's just, for whatever reason, working something out for his glory. So keep, keep going forward. Keep moving ahead. Um, I think it was Dr. King that said it like this. He said, if you can fly, fly. If you can't fly, run. If you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl. But by all means, keep moving forward. <laughs> and so that's what, I'm, that's what I'm encouraging you to do. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 2. It's been a little bit since we visited this, so we'll just recap. In chapter 1, we found out what God did for us. And we found out that God had orchestrated this wonderful plan of salvation through his son Jesus. That God the Father, the Bible says, uh, chose us in his son who shed his blood for us. And then the Holy Spirit comes as a seal to mark us and to give us a, a, an assurance of our salvation that God did that. So the first chapter is what God's done for us. The start of the second chapter, verses 1 through 10, is what God has done in us. It's that we've been seated with, with Christ in heavenly places and that he's, he's went before us despite our mistakes, despite our failures. He's poured out his lavish grace upon us despite us and our trespasses and our sins and everything else that God has intervened in such a way by his grace and given us a gift of salvation. And that's what he's kind of worked out on the inside of us. Now in this next a uh, couple chapters, we're going to be looking at what God has done between us. And here's what I've found in my life is that it's real easy to love the Lord. It's really hard to love other people. 
But God doesn't get us off the hook that easy. Because he puts us in this strange position that says, if you don't love man whom you have seen, how can you love God whom you've not seen? That he puts our maturity in God equal to our ability to be in relationship with others. That it's not like you can be on fire for God and not be in love with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Like it's at odds with one another. So God never wants us to get put too much faith in our experiences or in our stuff if it doesn't translate into the love of my neighbor. Right? I know, this is a hard one to say amen on. I get it. So here, what Christ did in us has a direct result with what Christ wants to do in between us. So we talked about earlier, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and you don't have to look this up. It's be on the screen for you, but says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So did you notice what that said? A royal priesthood. What would royal set your mind to? King. What would priest, priesthood set your mind to, right? One has an authority on its own to govern. The other has an authority to have access into God whenever they want. So what Jesus does between us is, is he finally does what every group is trying to do in the world right now, even though it might be the wrong way about it, is to make us all equal. Jesus is saying, you're a king. You're a queen, you're a queen, you're a queen, Zach, you're a queen, I mean a king, sorry, sorry. <laughs> he puts us all in the same standing. So if we're all kings, who's in charge? Yeah, Jesus is the head, but that puts us in a position to submit our authorities to one another. So now we're all equals. So if we're all equals... I don't have to be jealous of what you got because I have the same standing as you. Right? And if I'm a priest and you're a priest, so what? That I'm the pastor of the church? You got the same access of, with God that I do. Matter of fact, maybe more because probably less people's pulling on you. So God puts us in a position as a nation of kings and priests, right? He just levels the playing field. No hierarchy. A whole nation, kings and priests. And if I can step into that reality, I'll step away from the things that separate me from other people. And I'll have to step over God's plan in order to have ill will towards someone else. 
So Jesus shows us how to be a king, how to be a priest. So how does our king behave? Well, our king washes feet, right? So Jesus takes the picture of the king and he turns it on its head and says, no, this is how a real king behaves. A king, in the worldly standards, sends his subjects to war so that he can stay on the throne. Our king goes to war on the cross so that we can sit up on the throne with him. See what I'm saying? So Jesus is dealing with the animosity that's between us so that we might experience God not just in us, but between us. And this is what God is aimed at doing, to remove the hostility that's between the nations, that's between the people, and to bring them together so that God might have a middle that he can invade and rest in. Right? So the Bible says where two or three are gathered, he's in the middle. So God wants us to create middles, to create spaces that he can invade. Yeah. And if we'll create middles, because here's what I've found. Do you know why you hang out with the people that you hang out with? It's because there's something you're worshiping in the middle, whether you know it or not. Whatever's in the middle of your friend group is what you're worshiping. So it's not like we come together and then Jesus magically appears in the middle. It's like, no, if Jesus is in me and he's my everything, my treasure, Zach, then when you get right here, guess who's in the middle? Whoop, he's just there. If you're hanging out with the wrong crowd and you got your little crowd, there's something in the middle that everybody's worshiping. And that's what's brought you together. So there's no way to not worship. An atheist that's in a circle has something in the middle that they're worshiping. So God is trying to get us to come together. And what he does in us is to bring us together so that he might be in the middle between us as well. That he wouldn't just be in us, but that he would be among us and with us. That is pretty good. Thanks, Kate. Getting a little bit of encouragement here so a nation of equals a nation of kings and queens and a nation of priests with equal access unto God that's what God is establishing and that's what he wants to do with unity in Christ salvation doesn't just make us right with God it enables us reconciliation among even the worst of human enemies Mm mm-hmm And if Jesus' death conquered Satan's domain, any earthly alienation between our brothers can be swallowed up in Jesus as well. So this is what Christ has done. At this time, it was the Jews and the Gentiles. The Gentiles were outside of God's plan. The Jews were inside of God's plan. And Jesus has come from, to make these two realities no longer separate, but all one in him. That in his body, he would make one body, one new human race.
Because y'all know where the rubber meets the road. It's when I start rubbing elbows with other people that I find out what I really got on the inside of me. Hello. Right? Yeah. It was like these, uh, there was a period of time called the Desert Fathers. And these people would go out into the desert. They would starve themselves, beat themselves, not drink water, have these visions of grandeur and think that they were the most spiritual people on the planet. I want to tell you, it's easier to do that than it is to love your neighbor. Because to love your neighbor, it takes the supernatural grace of God doing a work on the inside of you. Yeah. Or you take this other path that some try to take with Jesus. Well, who's my neighbor? <laughs> fine print. Is there some fine print somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 there's some fine print somewhere. So here's what I've found. Without the other, I can't have a middle. So if I have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, and maybe love broke down as, you know, these other virtues, joy, kindness, peace, Self-control, these other virtues. What's the fruit of the Spirit if it's got nowhere to be applied? So in other words, does love have to do with me or does love have to do with another? Love always insists on another. So without you, I can't love that. Otherwise, I'm left to myself and love doesn't love itself. If it does, it's now evil and satanic. And can even look that way in a subtle way. Because Peter's best laid intentions talking with Jesus was, hey, quit telling people you're going to crucify, you know, you're going to be crucified and die. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Love doesn't self-preserve and love itself. Love gives itself. That's satanic. It's satanic. So what he's saying is, is that with another, I now have the opportunity to love. And without the other, I can't love. That's why I think God manifested himself in a Trinitarian form, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because if he was just one, how could he love himself? Love has to do with the other. So love couldn't be demonstrated unless the Father had a son and the Holy Spirit could be moving these pieces around. So he even manifests love in the form of another. Yeah. So another creates a middle space where I can practice the fruit of the Spirit, practice what it is to love like the Lord and be like the Lord. And that's what God is trying to establish. The fruit of the Spirit can't be applied without the other. So when two or three are gathered, he's in the midst of them. And so this would bring me to Pentecost. So if God is in the middle of two or three, then think when 120 got in one accord, 
And the Spirit of God was poured out and 3,000 were saved. That I think a lot of times when we're waiting for God to move, He's waiting for us to get in one accord so that He can trust us with the move so that we'll know what to do with the lost that come in. Because if there's no middle, where are we going to put them? There's got to be a middle to pull people into. And I can't have a middle without somebody else. Funny that Jesus always sent his disciples out in twos. Why? So there'd be a middle. Because even if you don't come on my side or not, I'm still going to have a middle. <laughs> so if you want to come, we'll pull you in it. If you don't, well, I still got a middle. Yeah. That we need each other so that, here's one, you know why we need each other? Where we can learn how to forgive like God forgives. And without you wronging me, I'll never have that opportunity to give God that kind of grace and show the demonic powers how real God is. Yeah. I need you even with you getting the flesh. Yeah. So that we can reconcile the relationship. Why? Because God's in the middle. He's in the middle. So to get at you, I've got to reach through God. I've got to go against him to get to you. That's why David said he had done lots of wrong to people, but he said, God, against you and you only have I sinned. Why? Because he had to step through God to get to that sin. That God was the middle. God's our middle, and he's bringing us into a place where we're aware that he's in us, and when we get together, he's in the middle of whatever circumstance that we're in. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles, okay, he's talking about us right here, are the oldest. <laughs> Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision that is performed on the body by human hands, that you were at the time without the Messiah, alienated from the citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So here, Paul is speaking to his Gentile audience, and, and Ephesus was mainly a Gentile church, but there was some Jews mixed in there with them. And so he's addressing these Gentiles and saying, you guys were alienated. You were far from God. There's never been a rift between two people groups more than Jews and Gentiles. Like throughout history, there was no group that hated each other more, and it was on both sides. The Jews would actually, they wouldn't even voice the word Gentile, the goyim. They wouldn't even voice it. And when they did, it was like a curse word and they would spit as they said it. Going. If you were Jewish and married someone who wasn't a Jew, 
they would do a mock funeral service and you were dead to them as a family member. Because you had left the one true God and the people of God and you had aligned yourself with the pagans and they could no longer, you could no longer be in the fold in their family. And Jesus comes in the middle of these two groups <laughs> and begins to bring these realities together. He begins to say, hey, 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 time out. That Gentile is part of my body. That Gentile is part of me. That you're not attacking something other than you. You're attacking the same body that you're in. I've been dealing with viruses all week. And nothing's worse when there's an attack on the inside of the body, keeping it from functioning the way it ought to be functioning. Yeah. So he's writing to these groups that hated each other. And this, this animosity is so fierce that in Acts chapter 15... They actually have to have a council based upon if these Gentiles can even get saved or not. Can you imagine that church meeting? Can God move on these people? It's like, I think he is. <laughs> I think he is moving on. them. So Paul has to come into this council and say, dude, look, God's moving on these people. Peter's preaching has to see it with his own eyes to even believe it. The thing that God spoke throughout, you know, way back when through Abraham, that Abraham, through you, all nations are going to be blessed. That through your seed, you're going to turn the nations back to God. And through this nation, you're going to be a shining lamp that's going to turn the other nations back. And, and this whole thing is going to be righted and we're all going to come back together. That was the promise to Abraham. And and they couldn't see it. And that's what hatred does. Hatred blinds you to what God's trying to show you. And so Peter preaches, and I love what God does in Acts. Peter in Acts 10, he's preaching to Cornelius, these Romans, these Gentiles who aren't circumcised. And he's preaching to them. And in the middle of his sermon, God drops on them and they start speaking in tongues. And he's not even, they didn't even have the decency to wait till the altar call. What's wrong with them? They were just on the second worship song. Can't move yet. Pastor hadn't preached. Oh, out of order, Cornelius. I hadn't even got the gospel out yet, and you're already saved. Ooh. So it's kind of like God can touch whoever the heck he wants to touch. And he will touch whoever the heck he wants to touch. And he don't care what your opinion is about it. So he's saying, hey, look, these two groups, these Gentiles that were strangers, alienated for God, guess what? 
God says they're in. So he's telling them about this reality. That they would ask, can the Gentiles be saved? How can God love them? And then I think about Romans, where Paul's writing about the destiny of the Jewish people. And it says that they were blinded so that the Gentiles could come in. Right? That doesn't mean he's through with Israel. He just got to let the Gentiles come in before he can turn them back loose. How lost do you have to be where God has to blind you so you don't mess up the plan? Uh, how lost do you have to be where God says, i got to blind you because you'll find a way to mess this up. Okay, let's get these guys in. Oh, they're in? Okay. Take the blinders off. You guys can be a part. But then at the end of the day, we got to talk about ourselves too, right? Because it seems that we don't listen until we're dry bones either. <laughs> so we better not get on our high horse because we got a laundry list of things. <laughs> and then we get to the end of our rope. All right, Ezekiel, prophesy to these dry bones. It's funny, we have to lose our ears before we can actually hear. And some of you got too much flesh on the bone still. That's why you can't hear. But you know what I found about God? He'll get you as dry as he needs to get you to get those bones rattling again. Yeah. It's just how he is. He's that good. Doesn't seem good at the time, but then you're like, I'm glad that happened or I wouldn't have called upon the Lord. Yeah. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Oh, man. For he is our peace. The one who made both groups into one, who destroyed the middle wall of partition, the hostility between the nations. Now, check this out. Here he's referencing here, Paul is, this middle wall of separation. This was actually a real thing. I think I've got a picture of the temple of Herod here. Uh, see where it says court of the Gentiles there? That was as far as they could go. And then you see like the court of the women over here? Yeah, that's as far as they could go. And then the men could go a little further, but then only the priests could go to this area here where it says the court of the priests, and then past that altar, past the porch, and into the holy place, only one person could go one time a year to offer a sacrifice. So we see the temple is kind of this picture of separation. Ladies, you go this far. Gentiles, you go this far. Men, you go this far. And oh yeah, one guy go all the way in. So Jesus shows up as our high priest, not to establish this, 
but to tear it down. So that there would be no barriers and that we'd all be kings and priests and that we could all have equal access and equal authority in him. That they're building this thing and it's not finished yet and they've been working on it for 46 years. And the disciples say, wow, would you look at Herod's temple? And Jesus says, hmm, yeah. In three days, it gets, uh, it gets torn down, and in three days, we can raise it back up again. Oh, hold on. Jesus, it took 46 years, and they're not even finished. How will you raise it up in three days? Well, that's not the meeting place. I am. Jesus on the cross was a representation of the temple and as they ripped him up, they're actually ripping up the separation between Jews, Gentiles, women, priests, not priests and they're making it all one into Jesus. That our king doesn't sit on a throne and say, come up here. Our king makes a throne and then puts us right beside him and says, you're seated with me in heavenly places. Yeah. Yeah. That's what Jesus is doing here. So the court of the Gentiles there, there was far as they could get. Oddly enough, I think you talked about this, Tim. That's where they were selling the, the sacrifices. And they were selling them to take advantage of the Gentiles because they were coming in with pockets full of money during festival and said, hey, we want to get in on this, you know, superstitious ritual. And uh, so they said, okay, uh, it's going to cost you this much. <laughs> So the Bible's always clear about unequal measures and weights and not cheating and robbing people. Right? And so they're saying, well, we can't do it in here because that place is too holy. But where the Gentiles are, it's not clean. And we can sell these things here. So that way, we can have our cake and eat it too. So Jesus shows up and says, what is going on here? And he's so mad that the people that are supposed to be a pillar, a beacon of light, to show the nations where the salvation of God is, he starts turning over tables. And he says, my house is a house of prayer for all nations. And you've turned it into a den of thieves. See, that's what religion does. It puts up a wall and keeps people out. And when I build up a wall, guess what, Zach? There's no middle. So if I put up a wall, God's out, you're out, and I'm out too, even though I think I'm in. So Jesus is pulling down everything. So much so... That he says, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave, nor free, nor male, nor female, but all are one in Jesus. That he's assimilating us into one body. One new man. Yeah. So, when God's blessing my neighbor, I don't have to get jealous. 
Because if God's blessing my neighbor, he's in the neighborhood. <laughs> oh, he's close. Woo, right here, I'm next. <laughs> so that we wouldn't see God touching someone or blessing someone as he's not doing that for me, but oh, he's doing that for my brother or sister. And since he's no respecter of persons, guess what? I think I can step into that. So instead of it looking like something to get jealous over, it's actually an invitation for you to contend for for yourself. Yeah. That's what God wants to do. He wants to do that stuff. So this middle wall of separation in the court of the Gentile was this kind of uh, wall estimated to be about five feet and it ran kind of the length of those stairs. You couldn't even go up the stairs there, so you had to be out there, and there was just like this wall, and it said on there, all are welcome here. But there was other signs posted as you went deeper in that said, death to anyone that's not a Jew. It didn't say that exactly. I'm paraphrasing, but it, but it was a sign of like, warning, don't go past here. So Paul is referring to this wall that would have been standing when he wrote this and said, oh yeah, no, Christ already ripped that thing down. Now the wall was still standing, but Christ in the Spirit had already ripped it down. That means there might be barriers still up in this country today, but you can tear them down spiritually because they're already torn down. That you don't have to get permission to love your neighbor. <laughs> you don't. And whatever barrier you think's up, mm, it's not really up. So he's saying here this, this barrier is torn down. Verse 15. When he nullified in his, nullified in his flesh the law of commandments and decrees... He did this to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. In the Greek, that word, the one new man, is, is, is hearkening to the same thing in 2 Corinthians where it says that we are a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, all is new. That the word would actually mean like a prototype. In other words, one of a kind that has never existed before. So, Zach, you're a new creation, man. Never before created. Prototype. New. So if I was Satan, what I would try to do is remind you of who you used to be and get you to align with that identity and not the new identity that he's trying to get. And I would use a fence. I would use dreams. I would use temptation. I would be watching you long enough to know your weak points. And I would be trying to do all this stuff to you to get your eyes off the new creation that you are and get it onto the old creation that I was. That's what I would do if I was him. That I'd keep you so looking back, you look like an owl. See an owl? I think they can go all the way. <laughs> I'd keep you like looking this way. 
and keep you away from the evidence in Jesus that you're a new creation in him and that you have the best days ahead of you coming forward. Yeah. That these Gentiles were now part of this new race, this new humanity. So what Jesus is doing, he's getting rid of Jew and Gentile and saying, it's all in Jesus now. It's all him. That he's making a new human race. And really, if we split hairs, we wanted to. You know, in the Gospels, when it talks about Jesus' lineage, Rahab's in there, and Ruth is in there. Gentiles. So Jesus <laughs> was already a part of the two, and on the cross and the resurrection, redeemed them all and set them back into one. Yeah. So that Jesus is all about a reconciliation. Verse 16, and to reconcile them both in one body through the cross by which the hostility has been killed. So Jews and Gentiles worked together to kill Jesus. And what they didn't realize is that their hostility to kill Jesus actually becomes the thing that removed the hostility in their hearts. <laughs> so like, like Jesus uses their evil plans against them <laughs> to bring them to a place where they could say, whoa, that was pretty evil. God help us. <laughs> like, like, like he's using their frame against them to accomplish his purposes. So we have Jew and Gentile working together to, to crucify Christ and by the way, we had church and government working together to crucify Christ. So Jesus takes the most hostile factions, different races, and church and state, <laughs> and says, all your hatred for each other. Did you notice they quit hating each other when Jesus was there and they started pointing it at him? That the Bible actually says that Herod and... Pilate became friends after that day that they both tried Christ. <laughs> that their hatred for each other turned to Jesus, and in turning to Jesus, it killed the hatred between them so that there could be peace and not hostility. So any hostility left is that which is refusing to be placed at the feet of Jesus. That the most hostile factions came to murder Jesus and Jesus used it to put to death the power of sin that would keep us apart. And Jesus will bring all the nations, all the governments, all the races into subjection in him. And on that day, there'll be no more tears, no more crying. All the weapons will have to get beat into farming instruments because the world will be so plentiful. We'll have no need of weapons. We'll actually need them for farming instruments. It's like we've ran out of metal to harvest all this food. Uh, grab some weapons. And turn them into a rake or something, you know, or whatever. However that looks, I don't know. 
But that's what Jesus is going to do. That's the future that we're moving toward when Jesus comes back. We're just stuck in the middle in the meantime. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Notice this language here. It'll make sense as we go. Verse 18, so that through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Do you know what the second century Christians called themselves? Do you know? They weren't called Christians to Antioch. Yeah, the way, and even before that, do you know what they called themselves? The third race. <laughs> yeah, the third race. Because they saw themselves in Jesus as in him as one new man. That all the tribalism was over and it was now only the tribe of Jesus. So next time you're filling out an application, I did it. I, was, I did it. I did my insurance deal. And she said, race, white. I said, <laughs> uh, third, ma'am, other. She thought I was crazy, but I got to kind of share with her a little bit about where that came from. <laughs> I refuse to be identified by people's whatever's. Jesus says I'm a king and a priest. That I'm a new creation in him. Yeah. 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 Paul is addressing the recon reconciliation between warring peoples. Thus he can speak of the new creation of the one new person out of the two. Gentiles were far away from God. The Jews were close, but both were outside of his body. Yeah. Verse 19, so then you are no longer foreigners and non-citizens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Okay, so now we've lost the temple language. Guess what we found out the temple is now? The father's house. Hmm, it's getting closer to home. Yeah. That the temple wasn't something to visit one day a week or however long. That it was a place to live and be in and never leave. So one's afar off and one's close to home. What parable does that sound like? Thank you. I thought I was about to slap some folk up in here and don't know nothing about. Prodigals far off with the pigs. Sounds like a Gentile. But where did he start? From the father's heart, from the father's loins. God created them. So one's far off and one decides to come home. 
And the father's looking every day with expectancies. Are they going to top that hill? So the one son comes home, and guess what happens? He gets reinstated. He comes rehearsed to say, all right, I messed it up so bad. Uh, I'm going to be a servant. Don't worry. You don't have to reinstate me as a son. You know, he's rehearsing this the whole walk back. And the father doesn't even entertain his words. He falls on his neck, weeps, puts a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet. Without shoes, that meant you were a slave. Puts a ring on his finger, says that you bear my name, you have my authority. Shoes on his feet, no longer a slave. And he puts his robe on him so that when they walked back into town, he wouldn't be bearing the shame of the old clothes that he had on. And I've preached this kind of stuff, and I'm shocked that people try to use drugs to fix something broken in them. When you've got a dad that loves you this much, what's wrong with you? Going to use affairs to try to fix something broken in you. And you've got a father that loves you that much. Let somebody look at you sideways, keep you away from the house of God. You've got a father that loves you this much. Come home. Don't worry if you don't have the words. He don't care about your words because you lie half the time anyway. (laughs) I'm going to do this, that, and the other. No, you're not. Just come here. Gosh, this guy. He's not impressed because your prayer. Could care less. It's the love in his heart that's drawn him to you. So the one that's far off comes home, but guess what happens when we have the party? Dad's out there doing his thing. Where's big brother? Man, this guy, come home. So dad's got to leave the house again. And this time to get the one that was close. In other words, you can be close to the house and not be in him. So one comes home, gets reinstated. The other one close has now distanced himself because that one came home. Sound like two people groups? Sounds like Jew and Gentile. Dad comes out, what's wrong? I've been here this whole time. And have gone unnoticed. Hmm. Son, don't you know that all I have is yours? Why don't you go back inside? And be a part of the party. And be a part of my plan of reconciling the world unto myself. Yeah. So this is God's plan. He's a father trying to get his kids to quit fighting and get at the dinner table and have a good time together. Hey, if you can't relate to that, I don't know. You just, 
give up. That's the deep theology of the day. Verse 20. Because you've been built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. Oh, <laughs> man. We're built on Jesus himself. And 2,000 years of people sacrificing and building on that cornerstone so that you could hear. Who preserved the message so you could hear? Who died for the message so you could hear and come home? Somebody built on Jesus and then told you about him. So that you could build on Jesus and tell somebody else about it. Jesus, the cornerstone. How do I enter into a stone? I guess we have to pile up some other stones around it and make a house. But we're going to build it on that. Jesus and the apostles and the prophets. And that's where we're going to build a house. Why is a house built? So that people can live there. And never have to leave. That's why Jesus says, It's going to be better that I go away from you because I'm going to go and prepare a place for you so that where I am, you'll be there also. Notice he didn't say, So that where I'm going, you can go too. He said present tense right then. So that where I am, you can walk like this here too. Because in my father's house, there's many rooms. And where does God live? In you. In father's house. Many rooms. <laughs> and all the rooms are attached to one body. This is why I love Ephesians. It's because, oh my goodness. It just doesn't stop. It's like Paul's rolling it out by the yard. I get embarrassed when I read it. Because I'm like, my life does not equal to this. <laughs> like, open my eyes, Lord. Let me get a glimpse. Of what you're doing. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5. I'm closing. You yourselves as living stones. <laughs> are built up as a spiritual house. <laughs> to me. See y'all didn't even think I was using scripture there. I'll, I'll just prove to you guys right now. You yourselves as living stones are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's your destiny. That's why you were created. Verse 21, in him the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are being built together in a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So here we saw temples, and then we saw a house. We see kings, 
We see priests. It's like God's tying it all together. It's like he brings church and home together. Two, my two favorite places to go is church and home. And God says, oh, yeah, I'm even bringing them two together. Jew, Gentile, all the nations. Government, kingdom of God. Church, the kingdom of God. (laughs) One thing, no more hostility. Home, the temple, holy, crazy. One thing. One thing. (laughs) He's bringing it all together in him. One new man between the two made us into one. Let's pray. God, we need you. there's times I just don't even know what to say or even do but I know you're doing it and I look out and say God is this even making a difference look at our world and I say what in the world is going on here but God you're somehow working in the midst of it you're putting all your enemies under your feet going to come back and reign and right every wrong. That my only job in this season is to forgive and love. So that through that someone would see the afflictions of Christ afresh in our generation and say, who can love like that unless God's on the inside of them? So, Lord, set our face like a flint towards your purpose. And, God, how you wouldn't be pulled off the cross or pulled away from Jerusalem. God, let us not be pulled away from your kingdom and your purposes. And let every distraction only serve to make us that much more passionate about you. And that every hurt just be another opportunity for us to love like you and rub it in the devil's face. God, teach us that we're sons and not servants. Sons and daughters, kings and priests, co-laborers with you. (laughs) No one greater than the other. Just all parts of your body moving towards the same purpose. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Love you guys. Hug somebody, tell them you love them.